0: Dignity of man. Dignity. Democracy is important for dignity, I believe. When we think of the words democracy and tyranny, my sense is we get a somewhat vague good feeling about the word democracy, but a bad and far more vague feeling about the word tyranny. We certainly have positive associations with democracy, but the word tyranny seems somehow frightening but far more distant. Like from the Bible old, like an antiquated word with no relevance to today's world. How much do we really know about the meaning and history of both words? Of course, throughout life, when we take things for granted, that's when our their strength starts to weaken. We like democracy and can't imagine any tyranny as we have understood it. But without a real understanding of the immediacy and importance of clear understanding, our treasured democracy the strength of a plutocracy in America has increased significantly. Can we have can we have both rule by the wealthiest and democracy? What is it about the word tyranny that seems so unimaginable? In the meantime, without labeling it as such, has tyranny actually started to take hold in America? Once tyranny does crush democracy, can democracy return? To understand these questions and be able to take appropriate corrective action, we must look at the meaning of the two words. As the presidency of Donald Trump continues, there has been a steady slippage away from actual small r republican government with co equal branches, instead toward ever more centralized and powerful executive rule. In his new book, The DNA of Democracy, author Richard C. Lyons takes a novel look and what defines the differences between democracy and tyranny, from democracy's beginnings to its unique advent in America. The book takes the reader through early embryonic democracies from Athens to Rome, to its long evolutional growth in England, and the utterly unique establishment of democracy in America, where the combined influences of The Amerindians' view of life, some revolutionary old world philosophers, and a generation of rebel warrior poets created an unprecedented country out of many one. This work expounds on the exploding genius this combination of influences let loose in America. Lyon's book looks at the origins, evolution, and intrinsic nature of democracy and its nuances. And by the end of The DNA of Democracy, the author's goal is for readers to better understand the blueprint necessary for successful democratic government. Richard C. Lyons, thanks so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive.
1: It's great to be with you, Bert.
0: Richard Lyons is the award-winning author behind The DNA of Democracy, which is volume one of the Shadows of the Acropolis series uh, beginning uh, this spring. His earlier book, But by Chance of War, won a Nautilus Book Award and a Forward Indies Book of the Year Award, From the University of North Texas and a graduate career at the Southern Methodist University, Lyons has been an avid admirer of the written word, (sighs) I wish there were more of that, which led him to literary pursuits as a poet, essayist, and screenwriter. Professionally, Lyons has been involved in printing, publishing, stage, and television production throughout his professional career. Well, a great many Americans these days are investing a sample of their uh, spirit and a few dollars uh, to unearth their personal DNA. The results go way back and often reveal unexpected, often surprising roots. The purpose of doing so is to learn a lot more about who we are back through hundreds of years. The new information is not just fun, but can be instructive in surprising ways. What about the title of this book? Why the DNA of democracy? What does it mean?
1: Well, that's a good question, Bert, and and A part of it goes to our DNA as human beings. There's also a DNA that composes uh, a government. Uh, A government can be either tyrannical or democratic, either autocratic or representative. And that can be seen in whether a sole authority rules a country or whether a country is ruled by the individual.
0: Well, that's uh, pretty clear. And... uh... Uh, I guess it's a combination of of both that's ha- I mean each in our government each uh, member each person with a little bit of power pretty much generally has some ego and likes to be a strong leader and have his or her way uh, take the lead Tell us about your your research process on the the subject of democracy
1: Well it began uh, I have a good general knowledge of history and new, Something of Athens and knew something of Rome, and then tried to branch out and find. Well, were there other democracies at the time, or have there been democracies since that were notable? And I found out just how uh, few democracies there have been in history. There was Athens, there was Rome, and then for a thousand years there was there was none. And then the kernel of democracy took hold in the shadow of King John's tyranny in England. Uh, with the Magna Carta. And then uh, that democracy grew very slowly in England over many centuries and then had a unique advent here in America.
0: Now, King John...
1: concentrated on those periods.
0: Yeah, King John uh, and the Magna Carta, that was in the 13th century, correct? Yes. And, uh, yeah, it's taken a long time. I wonder what it is about democracy that uh, sort of has to move slowly and and why it has moved slowly I mean I know there's been resistance to democracy over the years but is is it not something that captures the imagination of the public fairly quickly or or does it take a while to uh, percolate
1: well as i stated in the uh, book bird i I think of democracy as a recessive gene and as tyranny tyranny is the dominant gene Tyranny has advantages. Tyra- government by its nature uh, concentrates power. Once you have power, you concentrate it. Once concentrated, you have the means of defending it. Once you defend it, you have the means of expanding it. In democracy, each individual has to be responsible for defending democracy, whereas in tyranny, you're directed by a unitary authority. So tyranny has a lot of advantages that yeah. democracy doesn't have, and it's the hope of this book that the education it provides in democracy will help each individual understand that it is, you know, the responsibility of us all uh, to maintain democracy.
0: Uh, it's so much easier to just say, "Oh, let the the man on the white horse take care of things. He'll fix things."
1: Exactly. <laughs> it's, that is a that is in human nature uh, to let somebody else deal with it
0: and you see it so often that people feel like oh i can't do anything i don't have any power and it does seem that convincing a a culture that we are powerless is kind of essential for for tyrants to to accept our own sense of powerlessness and i've been amazed i've been you know on this planet for a while and how it does seem to the idea of of citizenship And participating I mean you can't uh, being a citizen is very different from being a consumer actually here in New Hampshire there was a governor one term thankfully who changed the name of the citizen office to the consumer office and there's a huge difference between a consumer and a citizen
1: (laughs) very much and that that's central to the to the whole idea of the book a citizen has connotations that are unique to democracy when you say citizen, it is a power unto itself. When you're a consumer, you're feeding at a trough. <laughs> and that's, that's what a tyrannical government allows.
0: Yeah, we just take what we're given and, and are happy yeah, with right, it. Yeah, right, and like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of that in history. Well, just as our personal DNA through 23andMe or Ancestry.com reveals surprising uh, entries of cultural influences that we didn't know about, Tell us about some surprises you must have come across in your research.
1: Um, some characteristics that I came ac- across in democracies were uh, just the the nature of rebellion. The births of democracies have always been in answer to extreme tyrannies, and it is it has taken peoples to the to the to their limit of of uh, being able to take any any more lawlessness. To stand up collectively, and and rebel against the tyranny, I'll give you the example of Isagoras in Greece, and he was he took after uh, a benevolent tyrant of a kind, someone who was generous with the people, and Isagoras decided that half of the half of the property owners and citizens of Athens were no longer citizens, but were cursed, and therefore their properties could be taken, and they could be exiled. And it was in the face of this that the people of Athens created the Athenian democracy, and to do so they had to uh, invade their own city of Athens and that plateau above, which is which is now the Acropolis. They had to climb that sheer front of a of a plateau, and face and never before defeated Spartan army to unseat Isagoras. That was the sort of thing necessary to divest a tyrant. Uh, if we move to England and, and King John, the whole of the barony of England had to rise up until he was left with, I think, seven loyalists out of the whole kingdom. But his tyranny was so extreme, they had to go to that length to get rid of him.
0: Wow. So there is, oddly enough, some violence in this epic story. <laughs> It does seem to to be there. Actually, I remember a professor I had back in college who who defined politics as the economy of violence. You know, and and you got to climb that up and and be motivated. Those people of which you spoke were clearly very motivated. If people, you know, are just accepting, I don't have any power, there's nothing I can do, oh, they're all the same, they're all a bunch of liars. People don't. (laughs) Right people don't take that initiative and it's it's very- and
1: no and, and I think tyranny can be incremental uh-huh. it can be by small steps and so you hear one bit of news here and you hear another bit of news there and you never get a sense of the accumulative force of what's occurring <sighs> because it isn't a sudden a sudden overtaking of an overnight uh, idea it's an incremental day by day little by little
0: Yes. Uh, we can see that. Like, like that old story of the frog in the cold water and the uh, turning the heat up slowly, slowly. I don't know if that's true. Yes. But it's, right. It's the story. Anyway, So you got to jump out of the pot. Yes, you do. And that takes some initiative and some effort. And so many people, you know, are just kept so busy with their their iPhones and things that we, oh, you know, we got everything. We, we got cars, you know. Uh, who worries about... Poli- but luckily, there are a few things that are motivating us that affect us all, like climate change and wars and things like that. Uh, and I, you talk about rebellions and how democracy is often, perhaps necessarily, born of rebellion. Here, in after the War of Independence, which I don't really consider as much of a revolution as much of a war of independence, because it kept largely the same white rich men in power. But it was, in fact, a war of independence. And shortly after the War of Independence, the the government that had borrowed money from wealthy people to pay for the war uh, started uh, collecting it from farmers and, and uh, working people, and they didn't like that very much. Uh, there was the Shays, right. Shays' Rebellion and the Whiskey Rebellion. What about their gripes and, and, and about how democracy was shaping up?
1: Well, the, the revolution itself was an in answer to uh, the taxation that Britain imposed um, through uh, the stamp tax and, and other taxes. And so the, it, it became uh, a ritual in America, early American democracy to fight back against taxation and in, in the case of the Shays Rebellion, it was prior to uh, our Constitution being affected, And during that time, the uh, U.S. military wasn't much of a military. We couldn't raise a military because we, we didn't have the power to tax. And so when the first taxation was proposed to pay for the war, uh, a group of 4,000 veterans uh, assumed a mantle of power and grabbed their guns like the militia uh, during the revolution and decided they would not pay it. And that was a great example of why the Constitution was necessary because at, the fed- at a federal level there had to be management of the states and the defense of the states. And so that, that had a very effective uh, role in forming uh, the Constitution. And thereafter, the Whiskey Rebellion uh, uh, became a rebellion because they, they said, okay, we'll tax people's vices, we'll tax, tax whiskey. Who can argue with that? Right. Well, all the makers of whiskey had a problem with that. And uh, they, they had a problem throughout history of, of collecting taxes in certain areas of the country, like Kentucky or, or Tennessee, and they still, I think, they're still brewing uh, white lightning in those hills that is not taxed
0: and certainly uh oh, there was a lot of drinking going on back in the uh, late 18th century. <laughs> yeah. Tremendous.
1: That was uh whiskey. This is before America had money. They they didn't have any any minted money. And so whiskey was a form of payment. And so they thought they huh. could tax it.
0: Yeah, it wasn't so much about the whiskey. It was about it, it's about taxation. And again, the old phrase, uh, taxation without representation. And uh, so there was some sort of a compromise that was worked out. Neither side, my sense is, I don't know this very well, but my sense is that neither side really prevailed, but there was a compromise. And we've been in, you know, that's part of democracy, is a lot of compromise, it seems to me. Yes. For those who just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is keeping democracy alive. It's a heavy lift. We need everybody's help. And we're talking with Arthur... Uh, Richard C. Lyons, about his new book, The DNA of Democracy. And when I was in elementary school, we were taught that progress is something that happens. It's a straight line. We're always learning and always doing things better than we had. The development of democracy in America was, of course, hardly a straight line, there was anything but consensus. Alexander Hamilton, who's suddenly a big superstar again, was very much against democracy. Why? Why did he fight against democracy? What did he fear? And and was he not partially accurate in his concerns?
1: Um, we, his uh, greatest work was the Federalist Papers. And um, the whole argument of the Federalist Papers is for a strengthened federal government as opposed to state government or local government. Uh, Alexander Hamilton was a great exponent of a very strong executive branch, whereas his opposite was largely uh, voiced by Thomas Jefferson, whose idea of American democracy was local, where you had many farmers constituting a government in a town square. Uh, Alexander Hamilton patterned his idea of uh, authority, after the enlightened monarchs of Europe, and so between those two is where we ended up, where we are, uh, between local government and federal government.
0: Yeah, it's always a bit of a battle, but it's it's generally, you know, a compromise between the two, and uh, just the the struggles have, have gone on for for so many years about where uh, the locus of democracy really should be. I mean, what about? What about the, the fear that, I mean, Trump uh, has been excellent at manipulating fear, Lord knows, the fear of mob rule. When people have have protested, he brings up the specter of mob rule, you know, anarchy, chaos. Isn't that sort of one of the dangers of, of democracy? If you have a lot of people who are not particularly sophisticated in their political understanding, uh, but you know, want to have some, some rule. I mean, we saw uh, chaos and overthrowing governments in, in, the, in Russia in 1917 and many places, and it's been kind of messy. I mean, democracy, I think by its nature, is, is, can be kind of messy, but uh, do we have a decent balance now, do you think? And what about that concern about its, its uh, being out of control? Well, I think
1: the very nature of democracy is to handle conflict differently than we can take the Russian Revolution as an example, where a small minority party, the Communist Party, overwhelmed all other parties because they, were, they, they fought by a different kind of rules. In America, uh, democracies thrive owing to virtuous conflict. Virtuous conflict occurs when it is under the, under the structure of law and persons have different ideas but they can bring them into a common forum they can voice them and then vote on which is is the better reasoned or more popular that is the very functioning of democracy democracy thrives on virtual virtuous peaceful conflict between ideas whereas tyranny thrives by the destruction of ideas
0: ideas and virtue boy that's that's a word kind of like tyranny. You don't hear it much, but virtue was exceedingly important to our founders. And, and it, it does, you know, now you have the so-called values voters who appropriate that word. But I wonder how virtue could be seen as something that's, yeah, we're a little bit short of it now. And, and it's something that's so necessary for a strong, robust democracy. What about that word virtue? Virtue.
1: Well, I think when you discuss uh, the idea of civic virtue, Mm -hmm. um, civic virtue as related to democracy is we each have a responsibility as citizens to respect and listen to our fellow citizens. Uh, We are all citizens. Um, And so that is the virtue of it. The virtue lies in in abiding the law that is agreed to by Mm. the people and um, by allowing the voice of others to be heard and listening patiently and and being gracious.
0: <laughs> there seems to be sort of a deficit in that area these
1: days. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays there is. I think there's a, there's a real polarity in views these days, and, I, and how we handle it is going to be really important.
0: Oh, really important, and there's some huge, huge differences. You know, and there are those that say, oh, you know, both sides are extreme, let's just go to the middle. Well, I'm not sure there even is a middle these days, but that, that... Yeah,
1: that's easy to say and hard to find.
0: It is. I mean, I don't know. Uh, There was a wonderful book, which I've often quoted or referred to, uh, uh, called uh, The Vital Center from 1949, written by Arthur Schlesinger, which was uh, about, you know, democracy not being perfect, but there being a center where the government does serve the common good. But there's also, you know, capitalism. uh, It's going on. And I don't know if people would still call that the center. It seems like that's where Bernie Sanders is, and where Eisenhower was domestically. I, that 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 used to be the center. I don't know now. It's it's different. <laughs> why why is it so imperative when we talk about virtue for Americans to educate themselves on the history and processes of democracy? And what about the role of education uh, to democracy's founders? Why is it? So important now for people to to educate themselves. And what about education as an essential component of democracy?
1: Well, I call you know they they asked what the the subjects of the book were and how I would categorize it. And I, I said well it's in part history, it's in part philosophy, it's in part um, political science, and it's in part self help. And someone said well that's a, where do you get self help in this? And I said I said because. As citizens of a democracy, we are all affected by our demo- by the way we're governed, and each of us are supposed to affect how we're governed. And if you don't know what the underpinnings of democracy are, you're not sure of what a democracy is. So the whole thrust of this work is to give people an idea of, first, how rare democracy has been. Second, what fundamental components are necessary to democracy. And... Um, and third, you know, how it was so uniquely invented here in America and how fragile a thing democracy is. Yes. And so I hope people take from that first they, they might appreciate their government more. They might know better how it functions. They know, might know better how to influence it as an individual. And, and, and how, that's the hope.
0: How did you come to, to write this book? This is sort of a diversion from poetry and other works that you do.
1: Yes, it is. I just, I had noticed, I was talking to someone, uh, and the subject was democracy, and I noticed, um, and I'm, I won't say who it was, but their education in democracy was a, somewhat limited.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> and I found out, well, that it's a general thing in the country, that people, um, you know, when, you, when they're reading history in school books, what, what they're reading is, here's names and dates right. and battles and this and that, but they're not really getting to the crux of why the battle was fought or the crux of why a constru- uh, Constitution was written and, and what are the dynamics within the Constitution and how does it affect us today. And so I put uh, this book on a, on, a, on a reality level. I, I think mm-hmm. it's approachable by, by anybody. You mm-hmm. don't have to be a scholar. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to have read a little bit. But um, I think it's at, at such a level that it's informative and educational, and also, you know, somewhat entertaining because the characters you find in the history of democracy are are rather unique.
0: That, that's true. Some some good ones, some less good ones, uh some egos, some people getting out of control. Oh my goodness. Yes. I mean you look through the list of you know, there's the whole great men teaching of history and there's a lot of variation in the great white men, but just, you know, among the populace as well. There's so much to learn that we really need to understand or we we give up that power. We surrender our power. Tell us about the word tyranny. The naming of the great predatory dinosaur Tyrannosaurus rex says quite a bit about its meaning. Does it not?
1: Yeah, it, well, uh, the tyrant king, that's the name uh, Tyrannosaurus rex. And it, it has its place throughout humanity. It began with the pharaohs and and uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, continues throughout history, and it's it's a matter of one person concentrating in themselves and in their family all the power of the state, all the power of commerce, all the power of the military, all the power of of the police, all the power of the scribes, and of in many cases of belief. Um, the great difference in America, and this is I think what's different about the book. I go into how America was founded out of the individual, out of the family, out of the community, out of the church, and with no government above it. I mean, the British didn't care what the colonists were doing for 150 years Mm. until they said, hey, wait a minute, there's a lot of money over there. Uh (laughs) We've got to get that back. (laughs) Um, So uh, America had the virtue of growing up without any superstructure of government, whereas anybody growing up in Egypt during the time of the pharaohs knew Mm. exactly who the pharaoh was knew who his ministers were, knew who the police were, knew who the army was. In America, you were a family alone on a farm, and you built in common with your neighbors the town in the center of the agrarian community. Uh, That had never occurred in history before. Forever in history, there had always been a king. There had always been an emperor. There had always been a pharaoh. In America, that, that was not the case.
0: Hmm. Interesting times. Well, so I
1: call it the original powers of America. They they emerged naturally out of society.
0: Emerging naturally out of society. Interesting. And, you know, I can see how that relates to uh, DNA. I wonder... Right, exactly. It, it, and so it, it was individuality as well as in common. It was a combination of both. I mean, so much of our development couldn't happen without the government. It's never been, you know, purely rugged individualism, it's it's a combination of both. We live in a community. We have sort of the, yeah. uh, the, the, the compact that we have. Has tyranny, I mean, as you were describing what tyranny is, you know, one person having all the power over everything. Jeez, it seems to me there's a guy like that now who really doesn't understand what democracy is. It's just my opinion here and who really wants all the power over every aspect, the courts, uh, everything. And uh, we know who that is. And, of course, in a democracy, we do have uh, a divided government. You know, we, we have co-equal branches of government. That's essential part of democracy. But tyranny has risen occasionally through the use of democracy. Can you give us some examples of how tyranny has happened through democratic processes?
1: McCarthyism is a great example of where you have a branch of government and a single demagogue uh, lording it over others and attacking their ideas just for being ideas. And then Nixon, of course, is a great example because he, through the executive branch, spied on on many people without their knowledge. True. And so you go back to, and this is part of the part of the book is. One of the masterpieces is the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And in the book, I go into the Bill of Rights, and everybody should know those by heart. The Bill of Rights that defend every citizen against an overreaching government, whether that's a local government, a state government, a federal government, it's the most basic rights we have.
0: Yes, it is. And and I think everybody, left, right, whatever, cares about those basic rights. We should
1: all agree on that.
0: uh, I would think we should. I mean, there's a lot of democracy is about disagreements and working them out. But one thing we should all agree on is is those rights, freedom of speech, freedom of the press. And Donald Trump considers the press the enemy of the people. And that, I I can't see that as anything but tyrannical. He wants to control the press and have them only say what he wants them to say. Uh, It's, it's, uh, you know, and it has happened. I mean, certainly in Germany, uh, Hitler rose through a democratic process. It has happened throughout uh, many many areas uh, of history. Why should the distinction between democracy and tyranny be philosophically examined and not just simply assumed?
1: Um, I I think people get it into their heads through, you know, definitions in Webster, but don't Uh, conceive of the animal working. So I, I think you need to think in terms of, if you're looking at tyranny, there are a plenitude of examples in the 20th century, and you named one, Hitler, another was Mao, another was Stalin, another was Mussolini, and you know, it can be argued you you can find these sorts of people today, but when you think of Mao, you have to think about, you know, the cultural camps wherein he prisoned people until they believed as he believed he would never release them, you have to think of Stalin's five-year plans, which moved vast populations Uh, over the whole of Russia and into Siberia, Uh, the torment these people suffered is just unbelievable. But these are the workings of tyranny. And I think, you know, you have to take it off the page and put it into uh, your imagination of what a tyranny is, what it can do.
0: And a tyranny can be in service openly to uh, an aristocratic elite, or it can be uh, like Stalin, claim to be in service of the proletariat. Of course, <laughs> it wasn't. It
1: was in service. I, I, I say in the intro to the book, uh, it, there are very few kinds of government, very few. There's, one is the rule of one person through a few over the multitudes. The other is the rule of a few through one person over multitudes. multitude. Huh. And the other is uh, a free association of people, each individual, Ruling himself and and the the society of individuals determining how they will be governed. So it's very different. It's up, it's an upside down <laughs> tyranny is the upside down of
0: democracy. And and I, I go for door number three. I like that. That's, yeah,
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do. Diff- oh, yeah, <laughs> and you know we've taken it for granted so long. You know people say, oh yeah, it's a democracy. You can't take it for granted. That's when the danger really comes in. And uh, I, I read this quote from, from Donald Trump in 2017. Let me tell you, the one that matters is me. I'm the only one that matters, because when it comes to it, that's what the policy is going to be. You've seen that. You've seen it strongly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they hadn't heard that quote.
0: Oh, yeah. It, it was, somebody asked him, what about the State Department vacancies? All these jobs in the State Department remain vacant. He said, it doesn't matter. I'm the only one that matters. You know, it's it's pretty incredible, and a lot of people like him. A lot of people like him. That's I I you know, it's easier to just say, oh, he's a strong man. And there's this, you know, throughout Latin America, there's there's been the uh, the caudillo, the strong man, strong leader, and he loves strong leaders. You know, Vladimir Putin is a tyrant. Hungary's Viktor Orban. North Korea's Kim Jong Un, Philippines Duterte. My clear sense yeah. is that Trump deeply admires these guys and has no understanding of what a Republican government is. Nor does he care. Do, we haven't really. Do, you have. You must have some sort of a view on this. Do you think he is a kind of a wannabe tyrant?
1: Well, I, I think he's he's had a unique upbringing, and um, you know, as a unitary authority, authority in his company. Um, and so he, I think that's his background. I don't know that he's done anything. I haven't heard of him putting anybody in prison yet, or, or such like that.
0: Well, except for the toddlers at the. Uh, I, I
1: think I think the media would rightly scream if it ever saw it. So. Well,
0: they have made some noise about caging toddlers and letting them die in prisons down at the, at the border, and uh, they've been raising concern about freedom of the press. You know, he he likes to yeah. shut shut out. Uh, the press
1: well that's you know that's good they you know that's just showing showing um, a rightful wakeful
0: yeah. well Jefferson talked about the importance of a free press and uh, certainly yeah,
1: now going back to that time there was there was John Adams um, and they were they were originally friends in the among the founding fathers Adams and Jefferson and Adams when he was president sought to still the press because he thought that the press was creating antagonism between the parties in America, and and America was coming like it is today, Mm -hmm. forming into two parties, and Adams was of one party, Jefferson was of the contrary party. And so Adams, as one of the first founders, second president, uh, sought to still the media's contrary views Mm. of his administration. Wow! Uh, And he was the first president to attack the press, but not the last. I mean, there have been others. Oh yeah now Lincoln Lincoln had a problem with the press during the Civil War, yes. and had a problem with habeas corpus, oh yeah, um, uh, because there were many persons in the press who were against union policy during the war, so so he had a problem with the media too. The media is always right to uh, defend itself
0: and then there's the question of uh, that's coming up actually. it's going to be a very, very interesting series, uh, legal stuff relative to Julian Assange. I'm a little bit taken aback and surprised that he's charged under the 1917 Espionage Act, which is Uh -uh. the ACLU is all up in arms. Boy, they've been kept busy lately. Uh, You know, is he a journalist? Is he... People... It seems like a lot of people want the media to behave. And my sense is, geez, part of their role is to be... uh, To upset things, you know, to to reveal things, and to, to misbehave sometimes. It's like part of their role, I think. And I, I wonder about... Yeah, are,
1: I think based based on the facts, correct. On the yep. facts,
0: yes. <laughs> and there's always, of course, false facts and fake news, and Mussolini called uh, the media fake news as well when they write things that he doesn't <laughs> like. Uh, there are some similarities there. If you just tuned in Bert Cohen here... We are keeping democracy alive, having an interesting discussion about his new book, The DNA of Democracy, author Richard C. Lyons is our guest. And I wonder about being able to participate. Thousands of people have been removed from voter rolls very sneakily. You know, it's not Jim Crow uh, overt discrimination, but people have been removed from voter rolls, many today, based on that fear for democracy's future, what about that uh, factor in, in the strength of democracy?
1: Well, I, there's a section of the book that goes into the um, the necessity and and you know the fundamental role of elections to democracy. It's the only means whereby we have a a means of um, removing persons, either putting persons in into a representative position to represent our interests, or to take them out of that position if they're not representing our our interests. Now, imagine for a minute there's someone whom you've elected who, instead of representing his constituents, represents himself and his family, and in doing so, you know, secures contracts for all of his friends, for public works or for whatever, and doing so, you know, takes in the money from their donations and then takes money out of the federal chests and and makes sure they go to all his friends. Rather than representing as a part of his office the constituents who elected him, that's a big problem, and that's someone you would want to get out of office, right? But if you're not, if everybody doesn't participate in the election, right? If everybody says, as you as you pointed out at the start of the conversation, if they say, ah, hell, it's always going to be the same, getting rid of one person just makes another one come in who's just like him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we really need to exercise the vote, and I uh, I don't know. Bert, do you have a statistic on how many people voted in the last election?
0: Oh, I don't. I, I think it's
1: 50% of the electorate.
0: Yeah, right around 50%, which is pretty Yeah, strange. it's
1: just, I, I just can't conceive of it. It's the one, it's, uh, outside of the Bill of Rights, it's the one right you have to participate in government. And it's the government that governs you, and yet people say, well, I'm, you know, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm going to do something
0: else. Oh, I find that so, so I find it remarkable,
1: really remarkable. I mean... When we speak of, okay, there's a hundred people taking off a voter roll or a thousand, yeah, that's a, you know, you never want your, that right trampled. But there's millions of people who, who never vote.
0: And people, you know, oftentimes, let's face it, we have a two-party system. You have to choose for the lesser of two evils. It seems like more and more people are saying, you know, if it's not perfect, I'm not voting. That, I don't have a lot of tolerance for that. Okay. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, the people who, I, I think most Bernie supporters did vote for the nominee, but there there were some who didn't, and I'm sorry, you know, if you vote green, whatever, you're voting for the other side, uh, and and as you know, people have fought and died for the right to vote, and if people don't yeah. bother to vote, that uh, I, I'm not comfortable. with <laughs> Yeah, I
1: find it, I find it hard to believe, and and it is common sense that if you're voting for parties not likely to assume office, you're fragment fragmentalizing uh, your own party.
0: Yes, that's true, but I think you might be trying to steer a party in one direction or another. I mean, in the past, yeah. there have been uh, lesser candidates who go to the convention with the block of votes, and then trade that to to somebody else. But that's part of of democracy. Yeah, that's part
1: of the primary system. That's a good system.
0: Yeah, it is a good system. It really is a good system. Uh, Yeah. And do do you think everyone would know tyranny when we see it? Or is it possible that tyranny can be here and people don't recognize it as such? I mean, tyranny is such an ancient word. I'm
1: going to go into that a bit more in Volume 2, which will be out in about a year. And the telling signs of, you know, incrementalism or creep you know the government it's fundamental to government that the more and longer it exists more the more the power is concentrated in one place the more it grows the more it grows the more it defends itself the more it defends itself the further it grows so it's, it's and it and it it grows in a sh, you know the shadow
0: well here in new england we have the uh, the town meeting tradition which is a great great tradition I, it's like real
1: yeah i just i love that concept
0: oh yeah Real participatory Wonderful. democracy, I mean, yes. people get hot under the collar, but it's democracy that you know it's not supposed to be so neat and clean, it's supposed to be a little bit messy, and it's a good system,, it, yeah. it really is. Now the word in the,
1: in the end, ahead. in the end, you're, you you know the idea of being neighbors should be above. imagine this Bert. the idea of being neighbors being above the the idea that you should have absolutely what you want all the time
0: <laughs> That's well put. You know, you
1: <laughs> well, there's nothing. I it, it was in the ah, like it that. was part of the book. I can't remember exactly.
0: Yeah, but that, that there, there was... are
1: no two things that any two people can agree on, other than they that they are right all the time, <laughs> as
0: individuals. Yes, <laughs> but y- y- you're not allowed to put, say, a high level nuclear waste dump in your backyard if you have a neighbor. You know, you just
1: <laughs> no, true. Very
0: true. Uh, it's so many. There should be
1: things that you know everybody can agree on, like that.
0: One would think. Then there's yep. the well. All right, but I wanted to move on to the word heroes. You know, it's been of late It's sort of lost some of its meaning. Uh, it's it's kind of overblown and an overreaction yeah. re- to perceived excessive criticism of all things military. These days, it seems that anyone wearing a uniform can be called a hero, but. There are some real heroes of democracy bravely taking on tyranny and often paying a very high price for it. I think of the very little known Sophie of the, uh, the White Rose student movement in Nazi Germany. She, she led this movement, fought against uh, the Nazis in Germany and had her head chopped off. But it was a great and powerful movement. They were real heroes, those who fought to overcome the Berlin Wall. Yes, yeah. John Dean, Daniel Ellsberg, other whistleblowers. What about their DNA, do you think? what What is it about them and, and the DNA of democracy?
1: Well, it's fundamental that uh, if you have a tyrant at the head of a government, uh, his army are paid servants. They work because they're paid. The difference in democracy's heroes uh, are that they work really for everybody, for everybody's... Uh, right to the freedom they enjoy. And so I think that's, that's the different sort of heroism. I go into the, the character of a woman called Lucy Knox. She was, during the Revolution, she was married to Henry Knox, and they were citizens of Boston. They were affluent. They had a very nice house. Uh, Henry operated, they operated a, a nice bookshop. It was a bookshop frequented uh, by British military people and British aristocrats. And Lucy's family happened to be very ardent British sympathizers. And they witnessed the Boston Massacre. They saw what the ministers of England were doing to their former freedoms. And Lucy decided, with Henry, uh, to leave their shop, to leave their home, to be ostracized from her family, and to leave penniless, Uh uh, to join the rebel army in one night. So they literally left their furniture behind, their clothes behind, their money behind, uh, to join the rebel forces. And that that story to me was just so acute, because you can you can see what the workings of, that had to be with the workings of her mind. Yes. To decide, I'm going to leave everything behind, I'm going to be at, a, at an antagonism with my family, mm. but it's because this is the just cause, and I have to do it. That's a hero.
0: That... He's a hero. So that's uh, Lucy and Henry Knox at the time of the Revolution. Boy, that is a hero. And so
1: it ties to his story, because he he loved books, and he read avidly. But his favorite subject was military engineering and the engineering of artillery. And he had read vastly on the Ah,
0: subject. That could be useful. And
1: John Adams (laughs) said, well, uh, George Washington, Henry Knox is just the man to go and get all the cannons out of Ticonderoga that you need, the heavy armament." And he went to Ticonderoga uh, with uh, a few hundred men right. and moved, I think it was 200,000 pounds of artillery through the mountains in the middle of winter to form uh, the artillery uh, around Boston that drove the British out of Boston. He went from a bookshop owner to a, a hero.
0: Heroes. That is a real hero. And I I, I understand when those guns were on Dorchester Heights... Uh, the the British just looked at it and surrendered. <laughs> and to,
1: That's right. As I put it in the book, they weren't looking up at Henry Knox's uh, fine book collections anymore. They were looking at his cannons and <laughs> decided to get out of
0: there. I love it. It's great, and we all depend on this stuff. And it, I'm pleased that there seems to be more of an interest in learning our history these days. And and what uh, uh, you know, civics is it's it's an important thing. Once yeah. once democracy has been crushed. Does it stay? Now, can you repeat that, Bert? I didn't hear you. Very sure. Well. Once democracy has been crushed, does it stay crushed?
1: No, I don't. I don't think so. I, I. I think we've been through periods of more and less democracy through our history. Yes. I just. I. I think there needs to be a. a fundamental inspiration uh, to know what democracy is and how it performs and how how we're a part of it and that goes back to election. If only fifty of people are voting you're disenfranchising half the country and half the country is frustrated at the same time yes I so if you're not you really have to become a participant in order to feel that your views do hold weight
0: and when people felt like the government to certain parties didn't care to hear from them that they came across as kind of elitist I think of the Democratic nominee in 2016
1: that doesn't work <laughs>
0: well.
1: no it doesn't no it absolutely does not because and i was I was very uh I was surprised by her what would you call it disdain yeah it was it was an open disdain for a lot of the country, and you know if someone's telling me yeah and you have to put yourself in the position of you know who she's talking to, and I am in that position. i'm a citizen, yeah. so if half the citizens are banned, is that me? <laughs> <laughs> It's, it was it was very bizarre,
0: and people voted for Trump because they didn't want to be ignored anymore. That she yeah. she was doing that.
1: So, but her go I ahead. Think just do the comparative between Hillary and Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton went out to shake everybody's
0: hand. Everybody's hands
1: went to every single state. I remember when he and Al Gore drove, rode in a bus all over the country. Yes, and just and just a you know a regular guy. Yeah, and. Uh, I don't know how it became so, but she was the opposite.
0: <laughs> well, being in New Hampshire, I got to see, you know, all the candidates. And when Bill Clinton was at an event, he would talk to you as if you were the only person in the room. Yeah. And somehow well, he... That's a, that's a gift. Oh, my goodness. That was amazing that he did that. Uh, yeah, Hillary, Hillary didn't have that. What about the economy? You know, America's government... And real national strength was solid in the 1950s. There was a wide and strong middle class, and nowadays pff, there's not much of a middle class. Can there be a real democracy under massive economic inequality such as we have today? How important is economic freedom or, or you know, stability to democracy?
1: Yeah, it's hard to, you know, if you have an idea. To build something like Amazon, if Amazon already exists, it's hard to do. Because those companies of that enormity can really stifle competition. And um, so they keep growing at the expense of uh, of other would-be entrepreneurs. But it, it's in the nature of, of capitalism that there is uh, such growth. Yes, there But it's a, you know, another kind of tyranny. <sighs> in the marketplace.
0: Yeah, and uh,
1: But you don't, you know, as an invest you don't have to invest in Amazon. You disagree with Amazon, don't invest. You don't like them, don't buy their don't use them. But what... That's the that's the other end of democracy. If you don't like somebody's product, you don't like their service, you don't like their personality, don't invest in them.
0: Yeah, you can boot them out. But <laughs>
1: That's it's the surest way to get rid of
0: them. <laughs> it is, you know. It, it, back in the the last gilded age, it seems like all the political power was in the hands of a very few, and now, you know, with the one tenth of one percent making out really well, uh, there's virtually no middle class, and I just I just wonder if democracy can can survive in that situation. Doesn't don't we need not only an educated public, but people who have an investment, who, 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 you know, feel like they are part of something that's going on, that the government is somewhat serving them uh, to have a democracy. And without that, people look to tyranny.
1: Well, the, that is, you know, a, a, a vibrant middle class is the best yes. uh, key indicator of health in a democracy, I think, because it means that everybody's on a, a level plane, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But my, my biggest worry and what what I go into in uh, Volume 2 of the series is the amount of power that uh, the House of Representatives, or Congress, has offhanded to agencies. The agencies, we don't know anybody in these agencies. We don't elect anybody in these agencies. And yet they are massive and determine a lot with regard to our economic life.
0: Wow. Uh,
1: so, uh Book two, volume two of the series goes into that.
0: Well, I was going to just next ask about that, but that is that is pretty frightening. That uh, uh, it's kinda... you do,
1: we don't see them, Bert. We no. don't elect them. They're unanswerable. I mean, if there was somebody who was uh, committing mayhem at one of these agencies, you would never know it.
0: That's, that's really scary. I know that, uh, yeah. you know, in the various parts of the, the military budget, you know, they hand it off to all kinds of private things. So there's the base budget, and then there's this sort of secretive budget of quite a few billion dollars. So The DNA of Democracy is the first book in a series. Tell us a little more about the next installment and, and uh, your plans for uh, where the DNA goes from here.
1: Um, well, the, the, this first book, The DNA of Democracy, just sets the underpinnings of where democracy came from why it exists and what is its structure so that's the DNA um, and then volume 2 goes into uh, the threats to that DNA and where they're from and what's occurring today and so I hope uh, it's this first book starts the conversation
0: and who's the publisher again
1: uh, Lilia Creative Resources
0: Lilia, Creative Resources. Well, very interesting conversation. I, I kind of like democracy, and I get the sense you do, too. And, uh, you know, we need people to participate and, and keep it happening. If, if people, they can buy your book. I don't know if there's any other uh, ways to read more of your stuff, like on that Internet thingy.
1: <laughs> I have a, a good work I did a, a couple of years ago called But By the Chance of War. Oh, yeah. Uh, something of a hard read. It's poetical, but uh, I think it's a worthy work. And uh, my works are available off the website at lylea.com or over Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, all the usual uh, suspects. The
0: usual suspects. We've seen the same movies. Hey, thank you so much.
1: (laughs) It's been a great conversation, Bert.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. Richard C. Lyons, the new book is The DNA of Democracy. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. And let's hope it's not entirely slipping away. (laughs)